Welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. ISFA exists to serve industry professionals involved in the fabrication of manufactured surfacing materials. With each episode, Behind the Surface inspires fabricators to take their business to the next level. Welcome to the latest episode of the Behind the Surface podcast. I'm your guest host, Ed Young. You may know me as the Fabricators Coach, where we believe that you deserve to have a business that not only makes you money, but also allows you time to enjoy it. You can check out some free tools, articles, podcasts, and more at fabricatorscoach.com. Our topic today is the new neo-consumer. Certainly a new topic for me, and I'm sure for most of you. Our guest today is Mike Heatherman, who is the CEO of Willis. Mike, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, Ed, thanks for having us. Uh, it's going to be an exciting conversation, typically, I'm sure, with ISFA, uh, which I've been around for 31 years. I'm sure uh, we talk a lot about fabrication, but today I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the consumer and behavior with architects and designers, so it should be uh, a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's very timely, too, with uh, an uncertain economy. Sales are certainly forefront of a lot of folks' minds, and this seems to fit right in. Um, but before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for folks who don't know don't know you personally and also a little bit about Willis, if you could? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's a short story. I'm a certified kitchen designer back in the 80s. Um, lots of experience with consumers. Spent my whole life in consumer research, marketing, branding, and business development. And so... Uh, that was in the 80s. In 1967, uh, Willis was founded, the company that we own. We, my wife and I purchased it in 1992. They were the Corian distributor. And I was a certified kitchen designer, and I loved the product so much I bought the company. Basically the old story. And uh, <laughs> I've been a junkie for this category my whole life. I love it. I love the consumer. I love fabrication. Um, our organization has, um, since, the, since its beginnings, have focused on the fabricator. We've never, ever gone direct. We've never not worked with fabricators. We have our own training teams. We're focused on technology for our fabricators. We, we live in the fabricator space as an integrated partner to our success. So uh, part of what we're going to talk about today is helping them make more profit, getting more sales. How do you close more deals? Comes back to understanding who your buyer is. So we spend a lot of time and effort learning that. And um, really, Willis exists, you know, as a business, we exist to inspire, to educate, to solve and supply. So our teams, whether they're our specifiers, we're working on inspiring with great design ideas and innovations. We're working on educating the marketplace, whether it be fabrication training or um, lunch and learns with architects and designers or kitchen and bath retail, NKBA, et cetera. Um, we solve problems. You know, we, we've innovated design since the beginning because we're a design forward company. And of course, we do distribute. We have the licensing agreements for the Corian brand and for, for the Fenix product and also for Lapitec for um, pretty much the whole West Coast US and, and Canada. And so we do supply product, but that is, that is just a function of what we do. Really what we do is create demand every day. Yeah, so it sounds like if, if folks were to be familiar with Willis just because they ran across you on a website or an ad somewhere, they may think that you're a distributor, but it sounds like you're not the typical distributor, you're doing a lot to enable your customers and a lot to create demand for the products as well. Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, Ed, uh, I would say 95% of what we do is create demand. 
and create desire and do our goal is to push it through the front door of the fabricator, right? So that, you know, we want to create image and design and innovation. You'll see us at trade shows and consumer shows, you know, we have the West Edge Design Fair coming up next month in, in uh, LA, places where a lot of manufacturers or a lot of distributors wouldn't be. We're there with a high fashion, high design booth to inspire people to do great things with our building materials. Okay. Awesome. So they'll uh, probably uh, see you at Tice, maybe coverings? Uh, typically, we'll be there exhibiting with our manufacturers. So those okay. are typically manufacturer shows. So we'll be there with Lapitec and Corian typically. And, and uh, Fenix will be at one of them, probably not at the other one. But yeah, we'll be there working the booth or supporting our manufacturers. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, we, we did 96 uh, experiences, which would be shows, uh, annual meetings, monthly meetings with ISFA, with uh, NKBA, with AIA, which is American Institute of Architects, ASID, American Society of Interior Designers. Like we're, we're in the community and it's because we're driven by, you know, my team will always say, if you ever have a conversation with Mike, the first thing he's gonna tell you is form follows function. I'm gonna drive that message because that's the, that's the root of design is form follows function. And understanding that led us to saying, well, if that is the case, how does it connect to the consumer? And how do we as designers, how do we as suppliers, how do we as fabricators bridge that for the consumer so they can have an experience and end up with a spectacular project, whether it's their home, whether it's a hospital, whether it's a food service or it's an airport. You know, we want to make sure that we're making sure that that function comes first. It's going to look good. We're going to make it look good, right? What the colors, the patterns, the fabrication techniques, we're going to make it look good. We all, we all know that. But if the function's wrong, then the product and the performance is wrong. And so you have to root it there. And so we have this curated opinion about our brands that we carry. You know, we carry certain brands that do certain things. And then we say no to everybody else. You know, we get offered a lot of different brands at Willis over the years. And we've chosen to stick with what we have or innovate and bring in new. We brought Lapitec in when they created Lapitec to say, you know, here's this product that can be used interior, exterior. It doesn't be silica in it. There's a lot of benefits to this material that make it unique over other products in the marketplace. That can solve a function problem that may be existing, which is the ability to go interior and exterior with quartz. You can't do that. So this idea of you know outdoor and opening up walls in design screams, I want my surfaces to go from the inside to the outside. Again, whether that's a consumer's home or a restaurant doesn't matter, but having the right materials does matter. And it roots back into that form follows function. So speaking of consumers, you sent me this video about something called a neo-consumer. Um, can you help me understand a little bit? I mean, the video is good. And, and for folks who are listening, we'll include a link to the video in the description so you can look at it as well. But uh, I'm kind of one, I got a whole bunch of questions around, you know, what this is, how it compares to how we typically look at consumers. Can you enlighten us a little bit on neo-consumers versus traditional consumers? Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm so happy to be here to talk about it today. You know, it's uh, um, I, I couldn't even start without honoring Ross Honeywell from Australia, who actually is the uh, researcher in camp with these philosophies back 15 years ago. But where I was at, I was in this situation where I was just trying to figure out how does Starbucks exist in the economy. This is don't forget this is around seven, 2007, 2008. 2009, right? We're in that recession, you know, some people call it the Great Recession, but it, it was not a good time, as you know, right? And we're kind of leaning into some of these weird economic situations now. 
And in, at that time, we were trying to figure out what are we missing? How can Starbucks be successful today? How can Apple be successful today? What I don't understand. And then, of course, I have good friends in the business. So I happen to know Jan Heck, who's the CEO of Mila. And I've been able to spend over the last 30 years, I've been very close to the Mila organization. And you go, how is it possible that they're selling dishwashers more than anybody on the planet? How is it possible they're selling you know, $10,000, $15,000 refrigerators? What am I missing? And I was asking everybody I knew. I'm missing something. I'm missing something. And some guy, I can't even, I wish I could remember the person that sent it to me, sent me that video. And it was seeing that video that I went, oh man, this is completely different. This makes sense. And it was, so I encourage all the listeners to, to watch the video. It's about seven minutes. It really is a very high cut. You really need to read both the books and study the Ross philosophy or spend some time at Willis. We, we, We've probably uh, taught this to 3,000 architects and designers. This has been a topic of um, lunch and learns and evening events for the last few years from Willis as, as bringing this to the group. But it really, what flipped it upside down was this idea of there are two different types of consumers. Okay, so one's a, a neo-consumer and the other one is probably what we would think of as in a more traditional role. Yeah, exactly. So you have this idea that there's this NEO stands for new economic order. So from a, a it's just an acronym, but NEO is also new, right? It's Greek for new. So this idea that this is not a new idea as, as it is a transition that's been happening for about 30 years in the U.S., probably longer in some other countries, but in the U.S. about 30 years. And it's this evolution of consumer behaviors. So I, I grew up in demographics, right? I studied I knew all the, you know, from baby boomers to Gen X, Gen Ys, and, and it, it does matter in our business. It always will matter. Demographics do matter, depending on the segment you're in. You know, at Willis, we're in every commercial segment. We're in every residential segment. So demographics matter, but not like, you know, matters if you're doing nursing homes, of course, right? Or you're doing primary care schools. Of course, you got demographics to contend with. But what we learned from, from understanding what Ross and his team were researching was this idea that they took real data, not make-believe numbers, but real data. They studied barcodes, in case you're always wondering what we're scanning stuff at the grocery stores. They took barcode data in three countries and studied the behaviors. And what you started to notice is we're viewing it from more of a sociographic or a psychographic view of the needs, values, and behaviors of the consumer. Now, that's all mumbo-jumbo to me. What it really matters is I look at my two kids. I've got, a, I've got two daughters raised in the same home by the same parents. One's a neo and one's a traditionalist. Why? What? The, the, it's the same DNA. But along the journey in life, you have these needs and values and, and behaviors. And as you develop your own identity, these things start to reveal themselves. Young, very young, like at kid's age. You know, my, my grandson at five looks like he's probably going to end up being a neo just by the way he looks and touches things and how he watches TV and everything. And so we as consumers are doing this every single day.
Because so you've got two daughters, presumably fairly close in age, and and one's a neo, one's a traditionalist, and so it's definitely not a, a generational age group kind of a thing, not demographics, as you say. But what really is the difference in terms of how they make these buying decisions? They're so similar at the beginning that you can almost not tell, right? Which is, you know, price, uh, features of a product, the status of the brand. Like there's those very basic things that everybody wants, but the, the traditionalist is always driving for the deal. They're always driving for the deal. So marketing drives towards that, right? Discounts, offers, specials, buy today. If you don't buy today, you're going to lose it out because it's going to be gone. Like that kind of consumer behavior. That's very traditional, right? If you look at the neo buyer, their behavior shifts dramatically towards brand to design to uniqueness. You know, if you think about a brand like Lululemon, as an example, how did Lululemon become a $4 billion company? You know, one of my favorites right now is a, a running shoe company called On, O-N, and they've gone from being a startup company in the footwear running shoe business. Like, let's talk about Nike as an example. <laughs> That's a tough competitor to start a new company against. Yeah. They did $1.2 billion last year. And in fact, On, I, I've been wearing On for about five years because I fell in love with the design. And price didn't matter. It's not that I have a lot of money. It's just that when you're when you're a neo buyer, price is just the cost of falling in love. You know, you fall in love with the design, the uniqueness. The they had a value proposition. The actual shoe is better for running and hiking, which I'm a hiker. So, you know, the the value proposition was there. But the traditionalist is going to look at that shoe and say, "Well, that's a great shoe if I can get it for fifty nine bucks, but it's one hundred and forty dollars, right?" And Nike can come out and say, we're going to try and knock it off and we're going to sell it for $69. But they sell it from $140 to $200 and they've made one point, they sold $1.2 billion last year in the footwear industry. Why? And the answer is they only target a certain buyer. They target the neo buyer. They don't even try to sell to the traditionalists. Their route to market isn't towards traditionalists. They're not in Walmart, right? You'd never find a brand that's a neo brand in a Walmart. Doesn't mean Walmart's bad. It means Walmart targets traditionalists. And it was kind of like this unlocking of the secret code. How did Tesla become Tesla? Elon Musk said there's neo buyers and there's traditionalists. And he targeted the neo buyer. You know, just the other day, and I sent it, I, I sent it off to a couple of friends of mine that are that are in the space of consumerism and trying to figure out how we behave as individuals, whether it's commercial sales or residential sales. Tesla offered, I didn't even know about this, they offered a tequila in the market. It was $420 a bottle. They sold out in three hours. Holy smokes. Now, how many, how many traditionals are going to spend $420 for a bottle of tequila? Now, it had a really cool bottle, right? A really cool bottle. It's like a lightning bolt. But it, it was a, they private labeled it. It was someone else's tequila. They didn't go into the tequila manufacturing business, right? And so that's the power of a Neo following. So if you look at what Apple did during the Great Recession, Apple sold $3 billion in 90 days on an iPad. It was unbelievable. When everybody else is bleeding all over the street, Apple's soaring to the moon. So when you think about these new brands and people that are targeting, if you look at our company, this is the process we go through. It's okay, we don't target traditionalists. Willis will never be selling you the cheapest product made in China. And it's not to, I shouldn't have said China, you know, but you know, the uh, imported products that are coming into our country. We're out there fighting right now in LA for our fabricators 
who are dealing with a silicatosis issue. We're on the ground with them every day. Our tech people are working with them. Our teams are working with them. We're answering questions for architects and designers. We're in it, man, because our neo buyers need to know. The traditionalist is still going to go to that dusty shop and buy a stone that got made or built cheap somewhere and buy that top for 3000 bucks. And I think our fabricators at ISFA have an opportunity to play in a different place, a different space if they target the neo buyer. And certainly we can help teach that in a deeper level. This is a, you know, an hour to hour and a half seminar normally Willis would be doing in a, in a live situation. But from a fabricator perspective, there's so much opportunity. There's so much money to be made here in this space to satisfy these neo buyers. Don't get caught up in what's going on on the other side of the street. Let the traditionalist consumer buy from that fabricator who's going to give them a deal and is going to grind and dry. That's fine. But if you want to be a successful fabricator in the 21st century and you want to move into this future and you want to find buyers that are going to keep buying, Neos is where it's at. So you've talked a little bit about brands, but we're not necessarily talking about a fabricator having to create a new brand. We're talking about the reasons why people buy and the neos buying because of the the form follows function and their value on how a product performs for them. I would think would be a big part of that, right? Yeah. I, well, I think there's there's a there's it's a, not it's just not the, it's not just the new idea. It's not just the new tech. It's something deeper than that. Oh, oh, Ed, you nailed it, man. Like th this this is an example for us as a business where we can come up with the greatest materials, you know, whether, you know, the brands I happen to think we sell are the greatest brands and we've, we've done a curated approach at Willis, but it comes down to the interface between the architect or the owner group, the fabricator, the fabricator has the ability to provide a value, a uniqueness. The thing that we talk about Neo, the key anchors are uniqueness, you know, this, this differentiation, they look for the Neo buyer is about authenticity. So that's where maybe a brand comes in. Like if a fabricator goes, well, I have, I'll just, I'll just say the names, Corian or Labatech, because that's what we sell. You know, I have, I have uh, a knockoff to Corian. If you say that to a Neo, they're going to immediately suspect you've got something up your sleeve because they're going to, they want authentic. They, that's, that's one of the key things. If you say, well, I've got something similar to Apple. You're out, right? So the fact, but if I'm a fabricator, I'm going to leverage that brand because it, it has power, right? It, then I'm going to layer my brand on top of it. I'm going to say, and the reason you chose XYZ Fabrication Company is we're experts with these materials. We've been certified for X number of years. We innovated this. We've created this, you know, and, and demonstrate your expertise as a fabricator working with those materials. I can promise you your prices will go way up, your sell price. And your gap between your competitor will move apart. You know, and I look at what's going on and certainly in LA where we are and, you know, we're all over the West, but, in, you know, particularly the battle that's going on in LA right now, the number of fabricators Willis hasn't sold to in the last 10 years, just because we said we're not going to sell to them when everybody else would sell to them was part of our integrity to our, our, our own identity and our brand, right? The brand and materials. Fabricators that link onto that and carry it to the next step, which is to bring that quality and fabrication and quality, you know, development, delivery, the team that they have. And, and we have so many great fabricators. You know, the guys are going to listen to this are just fantastic fabricators. Be bold about your greatness. Be bold about it. Neos want to know they're working with the best. Traditionalists are going to say, well, I want all the best that you can give me, but I want it for half the price. 
instead the Neil's going to go, okay, I understand that. You've given me the reasons why I should deal with you. Let me, let me give you a check. So homeowner walks into a fabricator showroom. How does the fabricator figure out whether they're talking to a Neo or to a traditionalist? Oh, the magic question. Everybody wants to know. There has to be, <laughs> if I just looked at them from my left eye versus my right eye, yeah. you know, they can hide in disguise. They can. However, let's, let's try and not, you know, Ross would kill me for saying this, that let's try and rate like an ultimate Neo versus a, a solid Neo versus an emerging Neo. Like, you know, and obviously the guy that walks in, he, you can just tell the way he's walking, the way he's carrying himself, his, his glasses, his shoes, his cars. I know we're not supposed to, you know, do that, but why wouldn't you do that? If you're in retail, you should be looking and, and you'll see that behavior come out pretty quickly. To try and mine for it is a little more tricky because an aspiring Neo is the only thing that stops them from being completely Neo is they just don't have enough money, right? Like there's Neo that have enough money. Then there's aspiring Neo. So, okay, I'm going to buy toilet paper from Walmart so that I can save enough money to buy the new iPad. So they're going to, there's some sacrificial things happening in their, in their spending. It makes them look like a traditionalist. And in fact, some companies have tried to kind of hurt, you know, straddle both where they've got a traditional approach and a, and a Neo approach. And they always just end up back to the traditional approach. You know, Ford did an amazing job with their electric vehicle program because they separated it like two different brands. They targeted the Neo buyer. Here's the Neo, 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 Neo. And here's the functional F-150. But, you know, an F-150 used to cost 10, 15, $20,000, sorry to age myself. And now they're 50 to $100,000 for an F-150. Yeah. Who, who's buying the $100,000 F-150? A Neo is buying a $100,000 F-150, right? They're still selling the $50,000. So they, they've been able to prove you can straddle a little bit around one particular target audience, and that is guys that need trucks. But once you move away from that particular category, it's really hard to, to uh, try and straddle. So what I would say to a fabricator is, your shop better look like it's a high-end design studio, not a fabricator shop. Because if I'm a Neo and I walk into the fabricator shop that looks like that, I immediately go, oh, this isn't my guy. As soon as I walk in, I'm deciding before you figure out who I am, I've already decided. Mm. You know, one of the best retail examples I can give you from Southern California is Perch. For those guys that are fabricators, those that know the Perch company in Southern California, they're selling appliances, plumbing, and outdoor living. So is a million other people. Home yeah. Depot, Lowe's all the way through to the other retailers. Why is Perch successful? You walk in, it's a high fashion, high design experience in a box store, but it's spectacular when you walk in there. The experience is there. The sales associates are professionals. They talk as professionals. So the Neo just goes boom and they connect and they spend $100,000 on appliances where they could go out and negotiate those appliances, could probably buy those appliances online today because they're just you know, stuff in boxes with barcodes, they can't. So if I'm a fabricator, I'm going to say, I don't sell a box and a barcode. I sell something custom and unique. And a Neo has value for that. So when someone walks in and just says, well, how much is it a square foot? That's a, that's a red flag. Doesn't mean that he's not a Neo. He just maybe have trained, been trained to say, how much is it per square foot? So you got to get to the next level, but start showing design and innovation. And when you start showing design and uniqueness and innovation, you'll see the Neo response to that, or you'll see the traditionalist kind of just go, yeah, okay, that's interesting. 
and you'll start to see them moving towards price. How much is that per square foot? How much is this color? How much is this color? And you'll start to feel that I want a deal. I want a yeah. deal. It's just kind of the traditionalists hang in that space, right? Part of what I'm thinking through is the, the fab shop owners that I've worked with over the years who are pretty much traditionalists. And they're going to try to, as they listen to this podcast, think about, okay, so how do I start to transition to sell to somebody who's nothing like me, who makes decisions differently than I make decisions? That sounds like a pretty uh, steep hill to climb for some folks. I have to agree with you on that completely, yet. It's something that Willis talks to, we talk to our fabricators a lot about it, and we get them all inspired, and they're like, we're going to do it, and that sounds great, and then they're back to per square foot, and they're bidding on a job, right? So, yeah, it's tough. You know, I, I I would say that if they're selling retail to the consumer, replacement countertops and surfacing of some sort to that consumer, they either got to learn it or they got to hire somebody that can, and they should hire a Neil so that they can speak to that, right? But, you know, the warning for the fabricator is be careful what you wish for, right? Because maybe it's not what your company's designed to be. And that's okay, too, you know? As we look at, I'm thinking, all right, big picture markets, percentage of the market, uh, percentage of consumers who are neos versus traditionalists. Uh, if I'm a fabricator, I'm a traditionalist. I mean, I'm, I mean, personally, I'm in my 60s, so I tend to kind of be that way anyway, by demographic a little bit. Um, and, and I'm typically not an early adopter. So if I want to, if I've got a bit, if I've got a fab shop and I want to start marketing to neos, what's my motivation to do that? Is that a huge percentage of the market? Is it a small percentage of the market? Is it getting bigger? What's that look like in terms of market uh, market potential for the typical fabricator? Wow, that's a that's a great question, and I love that you're so honest and came out and told us your age. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're uh, if you're looking at the video version of this, which is not going to be available, I got a lot of gray hair that backs that up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and me both, brother. I'm 58 this year, so it's uh, but yeah. So when we think about that question, right? How do you, uh, you know, it's really complicated. It's uh, the data is the data. So 52% of consumers are traditionals, more than half. 24% um, of the consumers are neos, and 24% are emerging neos. So that's kind of the statistics, right? That's the real data. Right. So, so there's, a, there's a huge chunk of the market. So that's yeah. that's motivation right there. It, it, it's half the market, right? So that's yeah. that's interesting. And then you go, how often is my business dealing with this price jammed, struggling profit on single jobs, right? So if you could make $500 more per countertop, and you're doing 500 countertops, the math's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, it's not complicated. So yeah. I'm not going to get into all that detail. But what I would say is that as a consumer... And this idea of 24% being Neo, like I'm talking fully Neo, they represent 77% of the, of the spending, of the spending. So we think about, this is where demographics threw it all off. You know, demographics is all about ages and categories and it, it kind of flattens all the numbers out. They flatten out. But when you focus on the Neo buyer, they represent 77% of all spending. That's a small group that's spending a huge amount of money. And if right. you're looking at a potential recession where you're worried about competing on price, then that's an automatic motivation. These are This is a, a group of folks that are automatically wired to, to pay for what they want. Yes. And as a matter of fact, who bought all the kitchens during the pandemic? Like who, who did all those remodels? They were all Neos. 
because fear, fear and, and, and trust those things, you know, they battle against each other. Fear motivates or controls the behavior of the traditionalists. And so when there was this unknown global pandemic, the traditionalists turtled, they held onto their money. They held on, they moved into their home. They, they, they turtled. Neos went, well, hell, if I'm not going on a vacation, I might as well remodel my kitchen. Boom. They spent a hundred thousand yep. dollars. Right. And we were on back order all over the nation. Everybody was in every industry and in every sector. Why? Because the Neos went, there's a pandemic. Who cares? Let's go. I'm going to remodel my kitchen now instead of going on that vacation. So those behaviors really actually elevated during the pandemic. And the Neos actually revealed themselves even more. So what's the motivation today? Well, there's two motivations for me. One is that of the big spenders, and we're in the big spender category. Let's face it, we put lids on boxes that cost $100,000. And, you know, we're not in the, you're not selling a you know, $200 widget. So if I'm in that space, I'm selling to big spenders. 93% of all big spenders are NEOs. Almost all big spenders are NEOs. So when you think about an economy and uncertainty, again, fear being the primary motivator, and I'm not going to get political in any way, but my God, the political climate is incredible around fear. It's, it's you know, our, our media system is all fear. Everything's fear, 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 fear. And it elevates the traditionalists. They get like, the reason we have anxiety disorders is driving and living in the traditionalists. The neos are going like, there's a brighter future ahead. Like they just have a general, more common outlook about the future. Right. They're believers in a better time. This may be crap, but it'll be better soon. Right. Keep going. And they have, and that's a very common DNA of a, of a Neo versus a traditionalist, which you can play that fear card and really scare them. So as I look to the future, the current and the, the next, when I say future, next couple of years, we have a tremendous opportunity to leverage the Neo buyers and how to, because they're going to keep buying guys. I'm telling you, they're going to keep on spending. And it's a question of whether you're going to get their money or not. And they're not going to go, and buy some cheap knockoff. They want authentic. If not, Apple would not exist. Starbucks would not exist. Why people line up for five buck coffee is gonna be a mystery for the next hundred years, right? People still can't figure it out. I think we figured it out. I think Ross Honeywell and people like me have figured it out. The reason Tesla's Tesla, the reason they can sell $420 tequila in the middle of this economy. This We're, we're living in uncertain times right now. And, and to, Tesla comes out with a $420 tequila and sells it out in three hours. Crazy. I would agree. Yep. So that's the buyer. So here's, let me give you a couple of examples that I have uh, with some customers of ours, some real, sure. let's, let's get this on the ground with fabricators, right? That'd be great. That'd be great. So those fabricators that don't know Mario Romano, MR walls, I think most fabricators know Mario. Um, he's a personal friend of mine. Mario is unbelievable. He knows how to target the neo buyer better than most people on the planet. If you look at what MR Walls is doing, I mean, he's taking a half inch solid surface Corian sheet of material and creating magic. Like it's so spectacular, his applications and his innovation and what he's doing and the way the end users are responding. But every single one of those people are neos. He's never had a traditionalist customer. So for the folks who don't, may not know MR Walls, what, what is it that they do? What are they known for? So Mario and his team are known for creating amazing designs 
using solid surface through a multi-dimensional uh, 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 CNC technologies that they either uh, uh, front light, back light, texture materials, but they do everything from, you know, 60 sheets on a lobby entrance and a condominium building to a hospital, to hotels, um, to, to incredible works of art, literally works of art in, in commercial retail restaurants and uh, all over the world. What Mario has really done a great job with is he's partnering and licensing geographically fabricators to be the cutters. So he also innovated the process with us in that fabricator, he writes all the code work in Santa Monica, California for the designers and the architects. So that code work gets done by him. It gets digitally sent to a fabricator and he just loads Corian sheets into a CNC machine and the, and the technology takes over from there. It's really pushing the innovation envelope. It's really awesome. And, and, uh, but the finish, you just got to go to mrwalls.com and check out the applications. And certainly we can get you guys all links for that. But, but Mario is just such a great example of taking a sheet of Corian and I don't know, 10 Xing the sell price, 10 X, not one X, 10, sometimes 50 X. Like he'll say to me, Oh yeah, we sold that for $30,000. And I'll look at it and go, well, there's like three grand in material. Like it's crazy, right? But the value is there because the buyer is the neo buyer. And what are they getting? A one of a kind, unique application. I've been in homes that are $10 million that he's done the work in for the back of a bar or backlit the front skirt of an island that's all multidimensional. It's a work of art. And if I'm a neo buyer, I, I kind of don't care if that's 10,000 or 20,000. Like I just want it. And that's that uniqueness. There's a value to that instead of just flat sheets and flat slabs. So that would be, give you one example. Um, I'll give you another example, which is uh, uh, John Topic and our marketing team at Willis created a campaign called Go Groutless for wet walls in the showers, right? So I've been a designer for my whole life. I've been yelling about grout and cleanability. If I'm a form follows function guy, we have to solve the shower. It's the stupidest thing in the world that we have a million grout lines and mold and mildew. We got to solve this. And so for years and years and years, we've been pushing this idea of going groutless and we've run ad campaigns. And in some of our markets, we have really big success in wet walls in the showers. I know a lot of fabricators that that is, that is a no go, no start. I'm never doing showers. I just do countertops. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. At least you've decided a lane, but is there a profit to be made in wet walls? It's huge. And the consumer, the neo buyer is 100% caught up to us now. So, you know, we're, we're marketing, right? We're creating demand at Willis. We're creating ideas and, and showing innovation and inspiring buyers. It takes us years. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. But boom, Go Groutless hits about five years ago. And we start to see more and more Go Groutless. Now, today, I would argue that if you want someone walking in your shop and you want a differentiator, the traditionalist is still buying ceramic tile and grout because it's cheap and it's easy to install. The Neo is demanding large format. So whether that's porcelain, Labatec, solid surface, I don't care. They're, they're, they're literally demanding it. So when you say to somebody, well, that shower is $15,000, they go, yeah, okay. I have to have it. There's no, there's no longer I would like to have it. The neo buyer says, I have to have groutless. I've decided this before I ever met you, Mr. Fabricator. Please take care of my go groutless. And if the fabricator's smart, yes, it's a lot of labor. Yes, you got to go back to the home. Yes, of course but they're willing to pay for it, you know? So um, 
but go into the category. Don't say, well, things are a little slow right now. So I'll go into it now. And then a year from now, get out of it or two years from now, get out of it. It's a, it's a huge market. Wet walls is massive for fabricators. Part of being authentic, as you mentioned, is also that commitment. You talk about going into it for a year, then back out. It's, it's that commitment. This is who we are, not just something we're going to do for a program for near term. Right. And what if you could become the expert in your geographical area? Now, I don't, you know, fabricators, some of them have a 20 mile geographical radius, some have 100,000, whatever. But imagine if you became the expert in that space, that if I wanted to go groundless, you're the guy I call. Simple as that. And, you know, our, our, our uh, sales teams are always talking with this thing called the my guy strategy, right? This idea that there's, there's consumers, particularly neos, that never, ever make it into the marketplace. Like they don't go shopping. They call one guy. Like I have, if you, if you worked for me, if you didn't know who my contractor was, Alex Stillo Construction, if you didn't know Alex, you would never get a dime out of my pocket because I don't go shopping. I call Alex and he has his guys. He said, I've got my guy. My guy can take care of that. My guy can take care of that. My guy can take care of that. You better be someone's guy. So if you want to be experts in wet wall, become someone's guy. So when the consumer says, if, the, if Alex Stillo is working with the Neo buyer and the Neo buyer says, I want groutless showers, you better be, he needs a guy to do that. And if you're not his guy, somebody else is going to be his guy, right? So I'm thinking about all the different dynamics, the different aspects of a traditional countertop fabricator trying to figure out how they're going to, to market effectively to a Neo consumer. And there's, there's certain types of products or certain there's branding. Uh, there's how you present your shop. There's a lot of, sounds like there are a lot of different facets to this. Where could a, a fabricator go to, to figure out how to, in a condensed fashion, maybe to figure out how to apply this to their business? Yeah, well, we've, uh, you know, uh, John Topic and I in particular have casted a very wide net. And, um, you know, because we speak at KBiz and International Builders Show and different places. And, and we always talk about Neo. Like every, every year, we're telling almost the same story every year, but they always want us to come back and talk about it because it's one of the, the, the most favored things. And then we offer to come in and help people. And we don't hear from anybody. We don't, we don't get the, you know, they fall, they get all jacked up and, you know, they're all ready to go. And this makes so much sense. And then they get a phone call and they got to do a Starbucks job and they get distracted and now they got to do this. And then, you know, nowadays we got bloody OSHA walking in every door. So, you know, they got other stuff they're worried about, but we're on the revenue side of a fabricator's business. We want to help you make more money. So gladly, I would personally host John topic would join me. We would gladly host a workshop if we had enough fabricators that are interested in rolling up their sleeves and saying, am I prepared to retool my company? Do I really believe in a direction that can lead me to something? Because it comes down to, like you said, most fabricators are traditionalists. So they'll sit and look at me and go, you know, Mike, you got your head flying up in the sky again and you're dreaming. And, and I just come back and bring back the muscle of the big brands that have done it and the consumers that are doing it. And my, my guy strategy with the go groutless is such a simple example for fabricators. Forget all, forget Starbucks, forget Mila, forget everybody else. Just go there. You know who your contractors are. You know who you work with today. You're a guy already for, you're the my guy for your contractors. Why aren't you doing wet walls for him? Well, because he's not asking. Why is he not asking? Because you don't offer it. Have him understand the neo buyer. He already knows his neo buyers. If you're in LA, you know which ones are neo buyers and you know which ones are traditionalists the second you meet the customer. So the GC has that knowledge right out of the gate. 
So we would be willing, absolutely willing to continue down this path of learning. It's my passion to, to help our fabricators grow and be profitable. One hundred. I mean, anything I can do to help a fabricator get profitable makes me more profitable, right? It's, Ed, nothing has changed. If you're, if you're linear like Willis is, where you, you do everything through fabrication, we will never open up a fabrication shop. I promise you. I've been saying that since, well, 31 years later, that we will not fabricate, okay? We know how to create demand and create consumer desire and create end user at the architect design level, but we will not fabricate. So we want our fabricators to be successful. And if it means we need to bring a group of them together, we're in, man, whatever we can do. All right, so your distribution's focused West Coast and Canada. Yeah. Uh, is is this type of discussion education is something you'd offer to folks in other parts of the country? Of course. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're in the business together, right? We're in it to win together. So uh, we're big supporters of ISFA. We've been big supporters of fabricators across the nation. Um, I've had the pleasure of actually speaking in different countries um, with fabricators. So uh, happy to do that. And and, uh, you know, anything we can do around it, Ed, it's it's a matter of uh, uh, a willingness. Every person walking in the room needs to say, I'm willing to change. And that's a hard thing to do. Like you said, traditionalists, it's hard to do. But if you want if you want to leave a legacy or if you want to build your business for the next 25 years, or let's say you just want to sell your business in three to five years. Come on, let's, we, we got 50% of our fabricators trying to figure out that answer. Yep. Well, if you're just like everybody else, how much is your business worth? It's really worthless. It's worth the money that makes that year. It's not, you know, it's worth the tools in the shop. But if you recreated your business and made it something that was uh, innovative and driving a segment, I mean, just look at what MR Walls has done. Mario started that company, I, I think, probably less than a decade ago, less than a decade. And, and it's, in, it's an incredible business. His business is worth 10 times more than a fabricator's business today. But he's fundamentally cutting material and CNCing and designing it. And, you know, fundamentally, it's a similar business, but it doesn't look at all like the same business. So if a fabricator got serious about this, wanted to look at creating this capability in their business, would they contact you or call John? What's what's their next step? Yep. Best step is through John Topping. He's our director of marketing at Willis uh, headquarters. And uh, we're available on our website anytime. If you want to uh, see links to MR Walls, you can go to fourwillis.com as well. There's uh, and and then just feel free to grab me wherever you see me. We'll be at West Edge Design Fair coming up. We're the title sponsor of Modernism Week in Palm Springs coming up in February. Um, we're around in a lot of places, but at the same time, uh, I try to. I, I, my my belief has been for the last 30 years at Willis that um, I have an incredible team of people. We have a great executive team that runs the company, so that I can stay free. So I'm always willing to have a cup of coffee with anybody. You know, so if someone wants to, hey, I'd like to grab a 10 minute, 15 minute cup of coffee with you, send me an email, get me on LinkedIn, and we'll just sit on Zoom and have a conversation. And if that conversation leads to something more, then great. If not, it's just a cup of coffee for a colleague in our industry. Anything like it's like doing this. Anything we can do to help out the overall industry, we feel like it's part of giving back to our business, right? We we can't just keep taking, right? You have to you have to have a, a philosophy of both. And 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 I will say this, Ed, the one thing I will I will uh I'll drive a, a third thing just popped into my head because we're talking about making fabricators money. Yep. Outdoor, outdoor. That's a segment that this cat, this group of fabricators, we've just not dominated outdoors for 50 years, but man, oh man, are we doing outdoor now? And we've only just begun. So who's buying all these expensive outdoor kitchens? Neos, 
Who's buying a Danver kitchen or a Brown Jordan kitchen and putting a quartz or a porcelain top on it or a Labatec top on it? Neos. Outdoor is huge. But, you know, it requires some expertise, right? It's a different, it's a different cat. It's not, it's not the same as inside. Even though everybody says, oh, it's just another countertop. It's not another countertop. You got to know what you're doing. There's expansion and contraction. I mean, we're, you know, we do everything from the oceans to the deserts in our business. And, you know, we're in 11 West Coast states or, you know, 11 states are not all touching the West Coast, but starting from the coast and coming over 11 states. And we have all the climates and we do business in Canada where it's a minus 20, you know. So if you're doing outdoor, you better have materials that can take snow and can take ice and then the hot sun in the afternoon and someone wants to fire up the grill to cook a steak at five o'clock at night. It could be it could be minus two outside, but they're still going to use that grill. Well, that surface better be well designed and engineered properly and proper thermal expansion. Boy, oh boy, it's a huge opportunity for, for high-end top quality fabricators. And if the traditionalist wants to go buy that cheap stuff from some, you know, shop that's buying, you know, no-name stuff out of nowhere land, they're going to have so many problems outdoors because they're having problems indoors already. Imagine when they start trying to do outdoor kitchens. So if I'm a fabricator, you don't want to do wet walls, then you better become great at outdoor because that indoor-outdoor is going to be just tremendous for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So these are things that I think you can bundle together as a fabricator to make your company worth more. If you ever want to sell your company, you're now more than just, I, I, you know, I, a fax comes in or a text comes in or an email comes in. It's a drawing. I bid the drawing. I call Willis. I order five slabs. Willis ships me the five slabs. I throw it on the CNC, goes through the process, comes out the other end. I got a guy in a truck with an A-frame. He goes out and delivers and installs it. Okay. That, that's what's got us to where we are. But what if there was more? And that's, kind of my hope and desire for our fabricators and, and, uh, and, and for me too, because you'll buy more product from us, right? Because you're going to sell more and you're going to want to use authentic brands, not knockoffs. So I, that, that's also good for Willis. So. Well, and as, as we face, uh, as you mentioned earlier, face some uncertain economic times, every, uh, every tool in our arsenal gets to be more and more critical, uh, learning how to use new tools, learning new ways to, to market uh, understanding neo-consumers and their roles in our markets and our businesses, I think it's really critical. So, Mike, I really appreciate you sharing this with us today. I think it's, uh, it's um, for me, it's a new concept. I think it's probably going to be new for a lot of listeners, but it sounds like something that we really need to sink our teeth into. And I think uh, as you guys uh, get more visibility, as folks reach out to you, I think it'd be a lot of good opportunity for fabricators to, to make their businesses more valuable. Because uh, as I like to say, it's Important to have a business that not only makes you money, but also allows you time to enjoy it. If you've got a business that is really strong, then you're not there worrying about every next sale. You've got some core competency. You've got a market advantage that you've built up. Understanding neo-consumers sounds like a really key part of that. So I appreciate you sharing that with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Ed. Thanks for giving us an opportunity to talk to the fabricators. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be great out there. Like, it's not like, you know, we got some tough stuff ahead of us for sure as a group, right? As a business, but um, the, the the future is very bright and I'm excited. I appreciate your leadership and your willingness to, to coach fabricators and help them understand that there's there's more to this than just bidding that next job, you know, having that freedom and and uh, life success as well as uh, company success is, is critical. So good on you for helping fabricators understand that. And we look forward to partnering with ISVA again and working with you any way we can. So we appreciate your time today. Mike, thanks for sharing your uh, your expertise with us. I think it's going to be a, a great value for our listeners. 
And I want to thank uh, all of those of you who listen to these podcasts. This is why we do what we do. It's why Mike does what he does. It's why I do what we do. We want to help fabricators become more successful. That's that's what it's all about. Uh, so if you if you like what you're hearing, you can check out other episodes at isfanow.org. And until next time, happy fabricating. That's a wrap. Good. Hopefully we got you what you, that, that was good for you. Yeah, I think it's good information. I think uh, you could certainly dive in and peel that onion uh, for quite a while. Um, I think it'd be a really interesting workshop for us to, ISPA to consider hosting, uh, maybe even doing a, a webinar if we could pack enough information into about 60 minutes to be valuable for folks. Yeah, I think the thing I would say, Ed, is that there's an opportunity for uh, the basic learning, you know, really, you know, when you send out the note, encourage them to watch the video because it does give you that like seven minute snap of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, the two books are fantastic. So, John, if you could send Ed the links to Amazon for those two books. Sure. That sure. way you can just add it to it as well. Make it easy. Okay. Just trying to make it easier for the fabricators to click a button and order it, you know, sure. both on Amazon. Um, and and I think that would help a lot. But, yeah, I would love to, um, you know, figure out how to do a workshop somewhere along the way where those that are really truly interested you know uh maybe my qualifier for it is make them get on a plane and fly for just this purpose yeah not tied into the annual convention or to you know because if you're really serious you know put your money where your mouth is we'll host an event you know somewhere either ISFA will host it we'll host it whatever you know and and a small group of maybe 15 to 20 fabricators that can just spend a day, roll up their sleeves and ask a lot of questions because it, it they got to personalize it. They got to get it, you know, they got to, they got to be able to ask the question. So if I just do a webinar and pitch it, or John does a webinar and pitches it out there, mm-hmm. it's still just in the ether. Like I, I like to get stuff on the ground. I like to get yeah. messy and tell me about it. And the guy goes, Oh yeah, but this, 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 and Oh crap. I never thought about that. You know? And cause I'm always learning in the conversations to say, okay, well, well what if you tried that? and kind of mine for some uniqueness. So mm-hmm. there may be some opportunity and, you know, you know, who the fabricators are the bigger fabricators or the guys that are trying to innovate their companies. Uh, but it's the stuff going on in LA right now, Ed, where, where are you based Ed? I'm in the Southeast. Okay. So what's going on in LA around, around OSHA and, and Silica is just, we are, we are under siege, man. It's, it's understand our, that. Yeah. Fabricators are under siege, you know, people walking in saying, here's a $20,000 bill, you know, and so we're, we're going as fast as we can. It's not our expertise. We're saying like, guys, we're just, we have knowledge, right? You know, and yeah. we're, you know, we brought the Labatech, which is silica free material, which is great. And we have Corian salt service, which is also silica free. So, but our courts, you know, Corian quartz isn't silica free. So, you know, we're, we're all walking this tightrope and it's, and it's coming down to, uh, it's going to move away from the manufacturers and it's going to move into the hands of the fabricators, just like they are. They're going to go after the concrete guys. Now they're going to, you know, OSHA is going to go after everybody. Like now, the feds have come in and said, like, we have to get this under control. But well, those- it's going to going to spread beyond just silicosis as well. The, the counter, my background is manufacturing. I've, I didn't grow up in this industry. I've cut my teeth as an industrial engineer in textile setting piece rates. Okay. Uh, I've, I've done that. I've done structural steel, tool steel. I've run manufacturing plants. Uh, I've done, you know, coaching consulting in, in companies around the world. So th- this industry to me is something I've been working in for 20 years, but it's also a young industry. You know, yeah. uh, your your three million your average fabricator is about three million in sales today. Well, guess what? 20 years ago, that was still the same. 
there's twice as many fabricators today as there were 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, $3 million fabricator didn't do digital templating and they didn't have CNC machinery. Today, they have to have that. So this industry is growing. Right. And I think we're getting on OSHA's radar and silicosis is just the first step. The next step is going to be lifting requirements. Right. Think about what that looks like in this industry, not just in the shop, but at, at install. I mean, that's that's going to be huge. And there's there's a whole raft of other things. And because I've worked in large corporations, I understand what good safety practices look like. We got a long ways to go. Silicosis is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of a lot of potential out there. Um, a lot of again opportunity for growth for the industry. If we look at this as an opportunity to differentiate ourselves yeah. and get our shops in really good shape. Um, then and 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 we we're on top of all this and and at the forefront of safety and and marketing all the rest of it. That's that's just adding value to business and securing your future. I think the workshop you're talking about potentially would be really well held at a fabricator, especially one that that um, that shows some of what you're talking about. I'm thinking about a fabricator that was a, a client of mine in in Massachusetts. When you walk into their their showroom certainly a high-end showroom but when you turn left and look through the plate glass windows there's a well-organized warehouse when you go to the back of the showroom and look there's a clean well-organized well-run fab shop right. you know the whole place is a show place compared to what you typically see in a lot of fabricators where you'd hate to bring a, a customer into your shop because not only is it dirty and wet and noisy it's also not necessarily safe right. and and so i think finding the right venue for something like this would be a, a really good step as well. Yeah. And I'll bet you, if you analyzed his business, a lot of his customers are needles already. Sure. Very, very much. So I'm thinking about his typical customer and what markets they serve and what drives them. It's very in new England. Typically is very designer driven anyway. Yep. From yep. my experience, new England and, and the West coast, uh, very designer driven. And I think if you're working with designers, you're probably in that Neo space most of the time anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a, yeah, about, uh, I, I would say somewhere in the 80, 90% of designers are Neo, just in yeah. so, you know, sense. creative element, you know, same with musicians, you know, a lot of them are Neos just naturally because they're creative, that, that, that left, right brain thing kicks in a little bit, you know, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting time for fabricators, and you're absolutely right about scale and size, and, you know, I look at our fabricators, I mean, we, I was in I was in Hawaii because we we do business there as well, and uh, I wanted to go out to some job sites. I wanted to see how they're handling product, you know, because you know when you're when you're on it literally on an island. I always say our folks in you know we do business in Alaska and Hawaii. Those two guys, those they're living on islands, right? Yeah. Uh, although Alaska is attached to something, it's not. It's still an island. And and uh, so I went over to Mark Bochamp's situate uh, operations over there, and went out and spent the whole day together. I watched them in the shop, watched them, uh, to, and and. This was this is a while ago, and he had the um, uh, what's it called? No lift, the the system that you put the slabs on and, and mm-hmm. roll it into the home. And he had the yep. whole process down. He's carrying an entire island. This island was five by nine. Rolls it in, locks down the unit. All hydraulics go up. You know, kind of levitates the top. They bring it down, hold it up a little bit, do all their beating, and then lower it down, nice and soft. And I'm going like, wow. Right. I said, Mark, like, what are you doing with this in Hawaii? Like, I could see this in L.A., like just for speed. And he goes, I have no employees. I live on an island. He says, for me to grow, I have to solve these problems because I just can't find any more people. He says, we used to bowl this thing in with five to six guys on the end of that island. You Mm -hmm. know, and just think about the number. I call it the shimmy shake where they walk through that doorway and they're all 
scattering their feet to get through that door carrying, you know, what's a thousand pounds. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and here's this guy that invented that no lift and they got a little ramp that goes up over the threshold and roll it down the hallway and 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 you go like how can't every fabricator have one of those and and the, and the biggest challenge that the inventor of that has is getting installers to adapt to it and to use it they feel right. like it slows them down yeah. Uh, yeah i've been i've been working with um with him quite a bit uh and and, and what i've been doing with aaron is when i work with his marketing guy you you may see some things pop up on facebook where i'm just i'm calling out the macho guys yeah. You know, saying, hey, you know, it used to be macho to be able to do this. Now the macho guys are the smart ones who are not killing themselves and are having a long career. You think about challenges for this industry. Yeah. We got to learn to grow our own. <sighs> Trying to attract people to do that type of hard manual labor. You got to go to things like that. So, uh, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Crowley's got to develop that. He's actually in Portland, Oregon. He's not far from you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do business in Portland. We have a distribution center there. So yeah. we're, right up, we're right up the whole West Coast. But yeah, for sure. Well, you know, our, our team probably already knows him. I just I just don't know him. But our, I'm sure yeah. our team in Portland would know him. But, you know, th that's just a great example. And and uh, yeah, industries like this, you go back and look at the history of America over the last couple hundred years. You know, we got to move away from being the immigrant job. Right. That's that's ultimately if you look at every other industry that's evolved. It starts off as an immigrant job because that guy needs a job. He doesn't care what he has to do to get the job. He's an immigrant. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, second generation moves and says, don't do what dad did, go do something else, right? Because this is killing my back and I can't walk after 55. And, you know, so, yeah, yeah. And, and you kind of watch the edges of this business evolving. It's an exciting time to be in the fabrication business because these innovations, but but for in Mark's case in, in, in Maui, he has, his answer was, I had no choice. Because yeah. he, didn't, he didn't have the bulls, he didn't have the macho guys, he had to get that top in that home. It was a a developer site. So we had 35 islands to deliver, you know, those projects are like, it's everything's up against the wall. Man. You're yeah. trying to do all the, all the uh, L shaped tops and the vanity tops. And all of a sudden now you got to stop everybody from doing their job while you bring in this one Island and then spend mm -hmm. better part of a two hour process to get that thing off the truck and into the, and then get it installed and hope you don't break it flipping it. You know, so that's two hours. If you don't mess something up, you that's know, it. Yeah. including the uh, dwelling that you're taking it into Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It really is an interesting time. So, hey, listen, man, we're we're uh, we're at the hour. I don't want to take any more of your time, but we're certainly on the same fight. We're in it together with you. You can uh, you got to know Willis a little bit today, and uh, we're a little bit of a unicorn out there. You know, we don't go around banging our chest, and you know, but we have some of the biggest and baddest brands in the market, and and uh, we do try to bring value to our customers every day. But we are a little a little unique, so uh, you can spread that word or. Edit your intro if you need to. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, uh, thanks, you thanks for your time, and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, the Good old expression I say to my team is, strap in. I'm wired up. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Nice. John, Mike, thanks a lot. Really appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, See Mike. You. Thanks. Thanks for listening. To hear more in-depth viewpoints, gain actionable insights and powerful tools to help you succeed, subscribe to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. To learn more about ISFA, visit our website at www.isfanow.org.